With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Today's show is a rebroadcast of one of our pre- Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Undivided. I was trying to get the uh, promotion for the Audible show open to go. Uh, Welcome to Undivided. This is Episode 7, Defeating the Stigma of Mental Illness. Uh, Thank you for being along uh, with us this evening. And right off the uh, top here, I want to just mention that since the um, show open didn't uh, come up here for some reason, the show is sponsored by Audible.com. That is Audible.com. They're the sponsor of all our programming here on the Life Coach Radio Networks uh, and the five different channels within that family of networks uh, here. So the other thing I want to mention is that this is a pre-recorded show. So when you listen on Wednesday night, the 4th, this actually was pre-recorded. Um, that's uh, something that we have not done before. Uh, but our guest uh, was not available to do it on Wednesday evenings. So our guest is uh, Nicholas Perez this evening. I'll turn to him in a moment. Um, and just want to open the show with the terrible act that took place uh, earlier this week on Sunday, uh, to be exact, in Las Vegas. And the mentality of the shooter and his mental state is something that is going to come into focus here. Uh, within the mainstream uh, American and worldwide media in the days and uh, weeks and maybe even months to come in trying to unravel the state of mind of someone that would do something so horrific. Uh, So this uh, then leads to a discussion of uh, what was his mental state at the time that this was uh, taking place. Uh, Did he have a mental uh, uh, illness history? and his family, et cetera, which there was some reporting on today, was some issues that his, his father may have had. Uh, so that's all going to come into focus as we move forward. Uh, mental illness affects uh, one in five adults each year in the United States, uh, according to uh, NAMI. One in 17 uh, Americans live with a serious illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Half of those uh, types of illnesses or disorders begin by the age of 14, and 75% of them develop by the age of 24. I also want to point out that there's a societal view that we're going to discuss tonight of the mentally ill. There's a stigma associated with them. 
mental health disorders impact about 22% of all American adults. And there's a, a huge difference between what I do as a life coach and as, uh, what a therapist would do, and that's why I felt I needed to have someone with that background come on the show. So again, our guest tonight is going to be Nicholas Perez. Um, Nick is currently a, a student in the doctoral program in clinical psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Washington, D.C. Uh, he earned his master's degree in clinical psychology with a specialization in Latino from Montclair State University here in New Jersey. Uh, Mr. Perez is published in the APA, which is the American Psychological Association's journal, and has given presentations at select conferences, including the annual APA convention. Uh, in addition to his schoolwork, he's currently a neuropsychologist extern at the Sh at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., as well as the APA campus ambassador for advocacy and social justice at his school. He has worked with children and adolescents and an in-home therapist and also in a partial co setting. And he has also done some work with the National Hockey League doing baseline testing. So we're going to bring in Nick now. He's been holding very patiently. So I'm going to hit this. Give me a second. Hello? Hello? Thank you so much for Hello? the introduction. Hey. Uh, hello? Oh, you're welcome. Welcome to the program. Mm -hmm. I got you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Undivided. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure being here. Awesome. Thank you for your time. And um, so as I kind of alluded to in the, in the show open here, there's a societal view of mental illness. And here on this show, we talk all about breaking down barriers that divide people to, to forge bonds of unity and harmony. And, and that's what I want to get to tonight, because I think there's, there's a societal stigma, if you will, towards people that suffer from different and various mental illnesses. And so I thought we would start there with, you know, that barriers are currently as constituted and how do we take some first steps towards maybe changing that, that, uh, that divide? Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, I think, um, the best way to start off is first, um, defining exactly what a stigma is. Um, so really, um, the word stigma, um, it really comes from the Greek word stigmata, and that refers to the mark of shame or to discredit something. Um, and that's something that we see very commonly in mental health settings, um, since a lot of times um, there's a lot of people have some kind of mental illness or some kind of mental health um, concern. A lot of people discredit it as either not having a mental and not having a biological basis or not having some kind of concrete evidence of that being a thing. And then on top of that, um, kind of like what you brushed upon is also the societal view, um, where we step into um, things like such as the media or such as things as the um, Hollywood portraying uh, mental illnesses uh, 
kind of like this taboo um, concept and also just in this very negative light. Um, one of the biggest things I think... I think one of the biggest things um, right off the bat, just to give you an example of this, would be um, the movie uh, Split, which came out not too long ago. Um, So the whole purpose of that movie, for those of you who may not be familiar, that an individual has um, dissociative identity disorder, or previously known as uh, multiple personality disorder. And the movie really focuses on how this guy's um, psychological concern, mental illness, is so um, severe and so horrifying that he's essentially the villain throughout the movie and um, does all these really um, over-the-top things that um, get a little bit crazier as the movie goes on. And um, that's just one example, but that's a good just demonstration of how we when we see things that are mental health related, it just comes with a negative connotation of either they're crazy or they're um, some kind of, they should be locked up, stuff like that. And that's not necessarily always the case. Gotcha. Yeah, th- th- exactly. There, There's this, I think, prevailing sentiment that those that suffer from this, especially in America, I'm going to get to some other parts of the world, maybe down the line and pick your brain a little bit on that, but but there's this prevailing sentiment here that those that have uh, various mental illnesses, especially severe illnesses, are really like castaways, uh, that they shouldn't be uh, essentially dealt with, that you should just put them somewhere. Uh, There's that kind of of sentiment involved in it, which is just so counter to everything that, you know, we're trying to do here and probably everything you're trying to do in, in your profession, what I'm trying to do, you know, as a coach uh, with life coaching and helping people through different situations. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit, that that viewpoint, especially here in America, that, that uh, societal perception? Yeah, um, I actually am very happy that you touched on the cultural aspect and societal aspect of it. Um, really, um, it, it really varies a lot by culture, their views on mental health. And um, here in the United States, um, we're, we're a melting pot, right? We're, we're from a huge, hugely diverse population. Um, we have, you know, Latinos, we have African-Americans, Asians, um, you know, Caucasians, and we have a lot of different views which can complicate um, our view on mental health. So, for example, my master's, like you mentioned, um, is in Latinos. So here in the United States, um, we, we actually put a little bit more emphasis on mental health than a traditional Latino household or Latino culture. And I think that comes from a lot of um, being the uh, concept of something called uh, machismo in uh, Latino cultures, where really um, the man is not supposed to be seen as weak. Um, so that's uh, just an example of how, why men don't seek therapy. But in overall Latino culture, 
you would really want to avoid um, going to therapists because you get that you get that stigma. You're you're crazy. You're local. Here in the United States, um, we also see it um, as well. We see that, um, especially in men, men have the lowest rate of going to therapy um, significantly, and that's from the same concept and same mindset where you know you're seen as weak you're seen as something that you should really be able to get over um and you know men don't talk about their feelings and it it really really puts a lot of stress and strain on someone who might need psychological intervention and um from there you create the stigma essentially That's really interesting. The fact that the rates are much lower in males is has there been a dialogue? I'm, I'm assuming there has been, but within the community that you're within, has there been some dialogue within the psychological community? And how do you reach them, and how do you change that? Yeah. So um, there's definitely been conversations about how do we get um, more men. Um, involved in therapy and stuff like that um are really one of the biggest things is that we we have to get rid of the stigma not only as um just for men but as a whole and as if we target it as a whole then therefore we can kind of normalize it essentially for everybody else so one of the biggest things for me that comes straight to my mind is um depression a lot of um a lot of things regarding depression is, um, and you might even see it if you go on Facebook or talk to your friends, you know, if someone's sad, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, you've had it worse. Or, you know, someone out there is having a harder time. And um, we see that more in men um, that do that. While women are more open to talking about their emotions, they're more open um, with expression, men just don't tend to do that. And the way we really can try to combat that a little bit is to normalize it, really. It's okay to talk about your emotions. It's okay to be stressed out and depressed and sad and stuff like that. Um, And interestingly enough, we see that men have um, high rates in depression because depression in in general is one of the most common uh, psychological disorders. But men also have the highest suicide rate as well. So it's definitely an issue that needs to be talked about and definitely um, uh, a topic that we have to focus on and really hone in on or else, I mean, it's definitely, we have lives at stake at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. The suicide epidemic is something that I will speak about. This is... And I know here in in our common home state of New Jersey, it's a huge issue, but it's also a huge issue not only on the East Coast, but but here in the whole country as of late. And it just seems to be alarming, uh, the rates of of suicide going on. And and it's this stigma that has really divided society and forced people to feel, well, I can't ask for help. And the repercussions of that, I think, are leading to this, to the loss of life, which is just, it's so incredibly sad because it's so unbelievably avoidable if, uh, you know, treatment is uh, applied 
uh, correctly and, and within a timely fashion. Uh, we're 15 minutes past the hour here on our program. This is Undivided, Episode 7, here on Life Coach Radio Network. I'm your host, Frank J. Maduri. Along with me is my guest this evening. Co-hosting is Nicholas Perez. And a show promo for you guys. Jan Jaffe's show comes to you with a brand new episode, noon Eastern, on the Life Coach Radio Network on Wednesday, October the 11th. Again, that's Jan Jaffe, new program, noon Eastern, Wednesday, October 11th, here on the Life Coach Radio Network. And we're back here on Undivided Episode number 7, Defeating the Stigma of Mental Illness. So, Nicholas, um, we had touched on uh, a couple of topics here and taking those first steps in investigating. There's a division in society. There's several. There's uh, stigma, stigmata, as uh, you defined it for us, which is very interesting, uh, that's driving a wedge between people that are really suffering uh, versus everyone else. How do we, uh, as a society, start to uh, change our awareness or our consciousness of that population? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the biggest things um, to really reduce the, um, the stigma and really bring awareness is really just having that conversation. Um, one of the things that we really um, don't like to do is talk about these things, especially um, especially regarding like um, suicide and stuff like that, because it's so taboo. We just don't want to talk about it. We we feel that if we talk about it, we might um, either like trigger something or in someone or something like that. And that's not really the case. A lot of times, people who are suffering from a mental illness or have a mental illness. They, they want to be heard. They, their stories want to be told. And that's the whole purpose of treatment. So really having open that dialogue and just talking about, you know, having a, a, a mental disorder diagnosis is, is okay. I mean, um, what really what, another thing I really wanted to touch on, too, with that being said, though, is that um, stigmas also happen with that labeling concept. So a lot of times when we hear people who have, like, let's say, schizophrenia, which is a more severe mental um, illness, we label them as they're schizophrenic. And that's something that we need to remove by just education, um, really educating people how does schizophrenia work. That person's not defined by their label. And we have to really tear down that infrastructure of mindset, essentially. That's interesting because there's different levels from what I understand of uh, functioning. You have higher functioning people. There's different levels of functionality within some of these uh, coding or how you code or index a diagnosis. Is that accurate? Um, so for diagnosis-wise, um, most of the psychological community um, would use um, something called the DSM, the diagnostic, uh, uh, just giving my name now, but the DSM-5 um, has all the uh, mental disorders that are um, approved by the APA, the American Psychological Association. 
And um, from there, there's a bunch of um, symptoms that we look at. But on on top of that, um, you know, while, yes, there are diagnoses and stuff like that, we really don't want the individual to feel like that's who they are, right? Um, it's It's very complicated when you get to, for example, looking at, like, a, a medical history where if you have a diagnosis medically, you don't see that person as that unless it's severe. In a mental disorder, um, we see that when you get any kind of mental diagnosis, whether it's anxious, I mean, anxiety, um, major depressive disorder, dysthymia, um, persistent depressive disorder, um, you're stuck with that label. So, yes, while diagnosis might be able to help inform other professionals and such, um, that's not something that we really want to rely on so heavily because that's not the person. The pers- everybody's different. Everybody experiences the, de- the um, depression differently. Everybody exhibits anxiety differently. And that's just something that, you know, when we talk about someone having, let's say, generalized anxiety disorder, it, it might seem different. I mean, it's not that that person has to be defined by that role, exactly. Gotcha. I understand what you mean now. Yeah, so it will help in their treatment, let's say, if I understand this right. It will help potentially with their treatment and help them uh, with designing certain ways to cope with it. However, you don't really want to try to avoid societal judgment based on when they hear that that uh, diagnosis? Yeah, so like for example, um, research and literature wise, um, yes, if a person has a cluster of symptoms, um, diagnosis would most likely be the same. Um, and for doing research and finding um, you know, new ways of intervention, new effective styles of uh, therapy treatment or medication it's definitely vital in that aspect but we need to look at it from another aspect of yes it's important from a science mental health medical aspect not so much as a um, societal aspect and I think that's where we lose a lot of people a lot of people focus so much on the diagnosis and not so much on the individual. Exactly. Is do you have any thoughts on how that could shift or how that could be changed? Um, regarding like what exactly? Oh, these. I should have clarified that. Sorry. These changing that so that we get out of that trap of society looking at it as because from a, a treatment standpoint, I understand that from a societal standpoint, thinking oh, what they're you know as as I've heard the term, they're schizo, or they're this, or they're that. Mm-hmm. So, um, interestingly enough, um, the European Journal for Mental Health um, in 2017 published an article um, that was uh, it was titled "Reducing Mental Health Stigma," um, and it was showing the relationship between knowledge and the shift in the attitude change. Um, within the individual. So there is individuals who, like, like you said, heard schizophrenia, called them, called the individual schizo, um, thought that 
they're you know they're crazy um, hallucinations um, and really that the person was incapable of functioning in society um, so through education um, through knowledge and really educating people on what exactly is schizophrenia can a person function with schizophrenia what level of severities and stuff like that um, they they realized that the uh, attitude change towards mental health has shifted dramatically. Um, and it was just, um, overall, their scores were just significantly lower when it came to rating how high of a stigma they had and um, how much of a negative outlook they had. Um, so, again, it comes back to that conversation Sorry, I think I lost you for a second. Oh. <laughs> uh, I lost you. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Sorry. Um, I had some no. kind of technical issue, and I couldn't hear anything. So oh. uh, I wasn't sure if you were still speaking. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> it's not a problem. Um, but another um, aspect so I would like to actually uh, touch on real quick, if um, okay. if you don't mind. Um, would be how much actually the stigma itself um, affects mental health care. Um, since I guess we're on the topic, I might as well um, just touch on it. University of Chicago um, posted a really interesting article about um, how um, the stigma really reduces the amount of people seeking care. Um, going back to the, what we said before when we were um, just talking, um, just doing introductions, and, I mean, it affects up to 30% to 40% of the population that have some kind of mental diagnosis. Now, this is, this is not um, severe diagnosis. It's just a range from depression, anxiety, all the way to eating disorders and such. Um, but just to show you the impact of how much this stigma can actually affect um, and affect the, these people's lives, because essentially now they're not getting the support that they need, and um, it's really interfering with the mental health care system. Wow, that's interesting. That really is. From the perspective of now, it's it's almost like a blockade within a blockade. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Have Has anyone identified a pathway to deal with that? Um. Yeah, so going um, really uh, going back to that first article I was talking about um, between the relationship of knowing and the attitude change, um, it, it really, if we can shift the attitude towards mental health, then yeah, totally. Um, it, it would definitely break down that barrier. And um, another thing too, like uh, another aspect that I haven't touched on, I, I kind of put down a little bit was uh, the media, right? So, like, I was talking about how Split negatively portrays um, DID, but looking at shows like 13 Reasons Why, um, super common show, popular show, Netflix. Um, it's about a girl 
um, who commits suicide. And it was interesting to me just noticing around me and um, the conversations that were getting started. And that was showing me how strong and how powerful media really is to reach out to people, especially now in such a digital era. And um, that really got a lot of people talking, and a lot of people were um, doing a lot of research into suicide statistics and um, ways to cope and um, even letting um, people who are younger, the younger populations that unfortunately we don't, we don't teach our kids anything about mental health um, at all really throughout um, any kind of schooling or just even growing up um, and like that really got a conversation going talking about like wow like you know these things happen these things are real like um, depression is real anxiety is real suicide is a very real thing um, it's the tenth leading cause of death in the United States um, uh, in 2015. Um, it's it's very real concept. So stuff like that, the media itself is just very powerful in that regard too. And that's interesting that you brought that up because I was going to as well. And from my perspective, and I don't know, it was just the people that I'm I was around. Uh, I had some interactions with people that almost felt that in, in some way it began a dialogue, that particular show, and another way it was almost having a, a counterintuitive effect of, you know, making certain people think, oh, well, uh, this is something that's almost like, quote, quote, unquote, cool. And I thought that sent a really dangerous message uh, to younger people is that, you know, this is what this girl did and this is how she carried it out and, you know, writing the letters and et cetera and so forth. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if it brought the, you know, most positive um, uh, light to something that really has to be dealt with, you know, pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that that's a, at the time when that um, show came out, it was a very common topic um, within the psychological community. Um, I've, I've had debates I had conversations with um, social workers um, fellow students um, licensed psychologists and it, it doesn't seem like there's a um, 100% consistency within our, our community but it does I would probably say a majority of the people would agree that just having a conversation in general is helpful um so while there may be people um, like like you were saying that how people were thinking oh it's cool like oh um, no she was the biggest thing I heard was she was missed and um, that that really hit a chord with me I was saying well you know if if we see people who are saying stuff like that that might be just an indicator in and of itself to just explore that that thought right. Um, so regardless um, whether I personally, I, I think that regardless, I, it started something that we just don't like to talk about. And um, whether you thought it was, uh, let's say people thought it was cool or something like that, there was no um, spike in suicide rate when that show came out. Um, so I, I wouldn't agree with it saying that it increased suicide ideation or anything like that. Um, 
if anything, I've had, um, I was working with kids at the time, um, they were saying, like, wow, I can't, can't believe anybody would do that, like, I would never do such a thing, and, and just really open up the conversation to talk about what is suicide, and how serious it is, what can you do besides um, that, and other outlets, other resources. It's really interesting. That's very interesting. We're going to stay on this topic, but we have our, we're about 31 minutes past the hour, so we're going to do our midpoint of the show break. You're listening to Undivided. Episode number seven, believe it or not, Defeating the Stigma of Mental Illness with Nicholas Perez aboard with me. Uh, upcoming show for you all here on Life Coach Radio Network. Brenda Baird, Brenda Baird Show, Being a Leader, 7 p.m. Central Time to add the central Thursday October the 12th 7 p.m. Central 8 p.m. Eastern here on the Life Coach Radio Network and we're back here on the Life Coach Radio Network you're listening to Undivided Defeating the Stigma of Mental Illness and I want to stay on this topic as we enter a segment of the show called Bridging the Divide because suicide is also a a really divisive topic just in what we were just talking about. There was debates about did this show do good or bad? Did it, it, but it started a conversation, which is what now I got out of it. I was looking at it as, oh, they, they can't take something so serious and make it that this is, you know, something that's in vogue to do because I thought it sent the wrong message. Uh, especially as you said, with it being, you know, the 10th leading cause of death. We all probably know someone. I have multiple people I know that have been uh, touched by suicide in my own life um, and people that I know. And it speaks to me, you know, from the core of my belief system and the value of every life and the value of every life that God created. What is the role of spirituality here? You know, we talk about... You know, the use of drugs and antidepressants, and then the flip side to that, which I wanted to talk about, was, you know, then the opioid and heroin and antidepressant dependency and abuse, which could lead to someone overdosing or having some kind of issue. What is the role of spirituality in, in treatment? What is the role of spirituality here in just saying, like, what just happened in Las Vegas? I think we've lost that. We've lost the understanding that there is value in every person's life. They want to cast off people as, oh, they're mentally ill, put them in an institution and, you know, shut the door and, and go your own way. Could you uh, maybe speak to that a little bit? I know it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, uh, I'll, I'll tackle the spirituality um, piece first in treatment. Um, so the first thing um, well, uh, I would like to say is probably that spirituality has a really – um, effective impact um, on uh, depression, suicide, and a lot of mental health um, concerns too. Now, I, I don't want to say just in the depression, suicide aspect, because um, it, it does help for everything. And um, we we notice that again, going back to that cultural piece, um, a lot of individuals will actually use spirituality over um, therapy. So if we mix the two, then we'll have a great um, support system for the individual. So, for example, like in Latino cultures, um, again, just because it's my specialization and I know of it, um, 
a lot of um, a lot of issues, a lot of concerns that you have, you you pray for it. A lot comes down to praying that um, that you'll be healed, that these your worries will go away, and putting your faith in um, a higher power. Um, this is also seen in cultures like Brazil, or even some African American cultures, where you go to some healers, um, for example, like some spiritual healers that can really help cleanse um, some negative thoughts or negative emotions, negative spirits away um, from the body. So, if mixing the two and uh, incorporating it into therapy, obviously, if it's if it's relatable, if, if the individual is not spiritual, if it's not religious, um, there we definitely shouldn't force that upon the individual because then it creates even more stress. But if the individual is spiritually inclined, um, either religiously or just even overall spiritual, um, it can definitely have a huge impact on the outcome of treatment. Oh, I'm sure it can. You know, relating and tying that piece together, I'm glad you addressed that, I think would have a, a very impactful uh, way to to treat that and to, to kind of steer person back uh, towards a path of health and wellness um, and how about the other component of it the use of drugs uh, antidepressants uh, opioids the heroin epidemic those things mm-hmm. could even be used to treat oh I'm in pain or I don't feel so well I'm going to go out and use some drugs I'm going to go out and get high I'm going to go do this because I'm running away from something it could be you know a demon mm-hmm. in my head. Could you speak to that a little? Bit? Yeah. So, um, drug use, substance use, um, very, very common in um, the uh, mental uh, health community. Uh, mental health that the individuals who have mental illness. Um, and really, what it comes down to is you're looking for an escape, right? So, um, you can what you can avoid. From therapy, you can use through a drug, opioid, or um, any kind of illicit drug. And what, what then it turns into essentially, you, you shift your problem from now being either depressive um, to now a more chemical um, imbalance of a drug use. So drugs, um, just to give a, some shine, some light on some addiction properties. So Drugs affect a lot of this chemical we have in this brain called dopamine, essentially. And what that does, it, it's kind of our reward system. So what happens is when you take the drug, uh, let's say, um, uh, let's say heroin, for example, it gives you a euphoric feeling. It makes you feel good, right? So it gets rid of your depression, let's say, for the time being. And now your brain is overstimulated by this chemical um, that you took from heroin it makes you feel good. Now, the chemical in your brain, dopamine, also makes you feel good. So the brain starts to learn to stop making that chemical over time. That's how addiction starts. Now you're having an addiction where you have to take the drug to make yourself feel good, and then you have to take even more to get to that original high you first got. Now, all of this is affecting your depression as well because you never um, really cured of your depression 
your depression, whether it was a stressful situation society-wise or psychological-wise or biological-wise, because their depression has a very strong biological component to it, um, now you added drugs to it, um, which is now going to increase your rate for suicide because now you have multiple, um, you have a comorbidity. Um, essentially, that means a lot of, or two or more things going on, two more uh, illnesses going on at the same time. And that's going to severely increase your rate for suicide. That's interesting. It's a, a hormonal, it could become a hormonal imbalance, which I understand is, is prevalent in other mental illnesses as well. Um, how do you, do you cope with that strictly through medication? Is that something where you try and get the balance back uh, through that? And what are some of the uh, what are some of the feedback around some of the medications uh, as far as how it affects the the patient? Sure. Um, so um, at first, I would say um, one, it's ho- hormones and neurochemical are technically a little little different. Um, it, dopamine itself specifically is not a hormone; it's a neurotransmitter. So essentially, your brain is full of these little cells and they shoot out these little chemicals to other cells that they use for um, uh, an electrical signal to create um, thoughts or feelings or emotions. Um, now, to treat, let's say, an um, addiction, um, that's, we have, obviously, rehab centers and stuff like that, and one of the biggest things is to obviously stop the addiction um, as fast as we can and as effectively as we can. So we really want the brain... Our brains are pretty good at what they do. Our brains will understand that after a while, um, it should probably make that drug... uh, uh, make that um, chemical, I'm sorry, again. And if we start depriving the brain from its reward system, so essentially, let's use heroin again in this example. If we deprive the brain from heroin, the brain's not going to have enough of that good feeling. You're going to feel very rough. That's where relapse tends to happen. And over time, eventually, your brain starts to try to reestablish itself. It's going to try to uh, reproduce more of that dopamine system and really fix that issue. Um, So, through rehab, uh, through really um, fighting through the withdrawal stages, that's going to be a very big aspect for drug recovery. Now, if we're talking about depression and stuff, depression does have a, um, and most mental illnesses have a, um, what we like to call a psycho, um, a psycho, psych, uh, social psycho bio model, biopsychosocial model, sorry. And um, so every mental disorder has essentially a biological component, psychological component, and a sociological component. Um, we, are, we already touched on the psycho, and we already touched a little bit on the social aspect and cultural values. Biological aspect is the last part where we haven't touched on yet. And um, this is where um, for mental um, illnesses such as depression really needs to start taking medication. Um, Prozac, Zoloft, stuff like that. Those are the, the names, but they typically all target the same chemical in the brain. So for depression, we know, for example, another drug, uh, another chemical made in the brain called serotonin is affected, and 
we take something called essentially an SSRI, so a selective serotonin reuptake um, inhibitor, and it lets serotonin stay longer in the, uh, the synapse. And then what that lets you do is it makes you feel better for depression. Now, the drug aspect makes you feel better chemically, but we never fix, again, that psychological issue. And that's where therapy has to come into play. And that's where really um, a psychologist, social worker, um, even a, even a coach um, can help out with. Sure, it's all about then you know taking where they are and designing ways that they can get to where they want to go. Saying, okay, what are your goals, your objectives? How, how do we outline them? What's the most important aspect of? of your life right now that you want to start moving forward with. And then we take that area and work on it and try and move them forward, uh, which is, is awesome to have those kind of breakthroughs with people and take them from a place where, you know, they've been down and out, let's say, and now we're trying to get them moving ahead um, and, and moving towards uh, a health and health and wellness. Um, it's a very interesting topic. You know, when you look at, the societal perception of it, the three different phases, I'm sure, you know, the societal response, almost like bullying would do to someone that's been bullied, the societal response to someone with mental illness, uh, I'm sure has a a, a deteriorating effect, uh, debilitating effect. Is that something that you've come across? And is that something that you've talked about in some of the, the discussions that you've had? Um, like such as the like the impact of bullying, for example. Well, just as I was, ma- I should redefine um, that can have that kind of societal backlash. Or you know, oh, people yeah. that you know they're bullying someone. It's almost like well, if they do a similar thing from the social aspect towards someone mm-hmm. that has a mental illness, it kind of ostracizes them. I'm assuming that, that that has even further deteriorates what the situation they're in, depending on what illness they're in. Is that something that is accurate or something you've talked about? Yes. So, um, actually, um, there was a study in 2003 um, that uh, was looking at severe mental disorders, um, specifically schizophrenia. And... Um, there, uh, schizophrenia has an extremely high suicide rate, um, just in general, com- when compared to other mental disorders. Um, and then we, the study was looking at um, the stigma's effect on suicide rates, and they found that if if they experience that stigma, that societal bullying, um, as you mentioned. Um, where it's kind of like a pressure of like like oh you're crazy or um, oh you're you know you're losing a mental break or something um, they had a higher chance of committing suicide um, they had a higher completion rate and a higher attempt rate um, so it it definitely is an issue um, which again emphasizes the um, importance of why we have to defeat that stigma. Sure. How do we change that? How do we change the societal perception of that, of both mental illness and, and of suicide? Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the uh, things that we 
I, I kind of briefly touched on um, is really we we talk a lot about medical concerns, right? We talk a lot about we have an open discussion about cancer. We have open discussions about cardiac um, disease and um, all these other very serious and life-threatening um, illnesses. And what we should toss into a conversation about just in physical it didn't hurt to talk about mental um, And the reason I say um, while even though uh, 100% cardiac um, illnesses and stuff like that are definitely more life-threatening um, than, let's say, uh, anxiety. Um, it definitely is something that if we start having a conversation, even with, like, our doctors, like, just mentioning, like, you know, doctors just providing some kind of education on mental health and um, even through the school, defining, like, counselors and stuff like that and training them to really teach us not only, you know, yeah, having a cold is not good, having depression is not good either, stuff like that. And um, if we ha- start having a conversation with that at a, at a young age, um, I think now already we start switching into that better mindset. Right. It's almost like it has to be captured early because the, the, these, the prevalence for the illnesses of, is such an early uh, age range. Are we looking at, and I mean saying we, are we being like the U.S., uh, the American uh, psychological community, if you will, uh, to your knowledge, are we looking at the European Union or other areas of Europe or other areas of the world and how they deal with it through their social programs? Um, so I don't have enough personal data to talk about other um countries um i i i do know that there are a lot of other countries especially um in europe that have different um ideas and different views of uh, mental health um we um there are um a diagnostic tool where i i did mention the apa that's the american psychological association there's also um, the International Classification of Diseases, and that's a whole international uh, level of speaking to each other between diagnosis and stuff like that. Um, so there's there's definitely um, more widespread World Health Organization kind of aspects to it. Um, I, I think that when we talk about the U.S., it, it's difficult. Um, going back to the societal aspect of it, going back to the cultural aspect, we... We really have, while we do have our culture of our own, it's very difficult to pinpoint a specific culture because we're all different. Uh, so going back to that original talk that I was talking about being a melting pot, it's it's so hard to say the U.S. is one way because that's not necessarily true. It depends a lot on your acculturation. It depends a lot on um, culture of the individual. How much do they... Uh, um, stick with that culture are they with both cultures um, how are they raised how is that culture's original view on mental health um, then mixed with the United States so it could be positive it could be negative um, it really it really just depends on an individual basis 
That's really interesting. Uh, and then along those lines, what role does the family unit then play, or is that also an individualized basis as far as is there some kind of overall macro study on the role of the family? Uh, I've read certain things about that where people that have family support may tend to do better. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's accurate. Uh, yeah. what, where's the role of the family unit in this? Yeah, totally. So um, family definitely has a uh, an impact on the individual. Now, whether it's positive or negative is usually defined by the family unit, obviously. So um, in a typical household, possibly, with, like, um, uh, parents, maybe possibly siblings, if they're supportive um, of you, so if they're supportive of, you know, you getting the resources you need and you being supportive of you going to therapy and supportive of you really working through your issues, then yes, 100%. It's very, very positive. We go to the flip side now of it's going to be difficult for the individual who wants to go to therapy and then, you know, they come home, their dad might say, you know, psychology is ridiculous or what are you, crazy? And, uh, you know, it's it, it all depends. Um, so, yes, family can have, a, it absolutely can have a very positive effect. And, um but I, I think we also have to remember that not every family is supportive and uh, not every family is open to psychological services. Not every family is happy with the mood uh, diagnosis. They rather have a like neurological or neuropsychological diagnosis. And um, that can be an issue um, going forward with treatment. Gotcha. Now, in the segment of the show we call Common Ground, we look to try and find some commonality, some common ground, at least for first steps. I don't think we're going to solve all the world's problems in an hour or an hour and five minutes or however long it is. But how? what's the first step? How do we either raise awareness of, of the stigma around mental illness to try and shift some of that perception around it? What's the first step that we take? To I do think the first. Like I know it's it's. <laughs> it is a little bit of a loaded question, but um, and it's uh, but I I will try my best. Uh, I think one of the first things that we can do is just just really get involved. Um, I, I'm a field advocate for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, I I help organize the Out of Darkness Walks, um, which is an anti-suicide walk. Um being involved in um, really kind of any advocacy work um, for mental health would really uh, really start to shift things a little bit more and bring more awareness. Um, so yes, I mean, I, I obviously, I've mentioned it multiple times about having a conversation, but also being active, right? Um, being, taking part of a autism walker, um, just something like that, um, Starting that kind of action pace where you bring it more to a um, not just a personal level, but more on a possibly like a, a county level or you know town level, something like that can help. Um, and I think that would be a great place for any individual who wants to get um, the word out anywhere. Um, if you want to, if you feel really strongly about something, for me it's suicide prevention. Um, because that, that's how I got involved into uh, the field. Um, 
that's that's really a great avenue. And there there's walks for everything. There's walks for I mean um, depression, anxiety, uh, autism, eating disorders. There's really anything. So really just going out there, getting involved, um, then getting maybe your friends involved, posting it on Facebook, stuff like that, getting it out there is a great start. That's how it starts. That's how it begins. And that's a a common theme, uh, certainly on this program, is it starts at the community level, at what we call the grassroots level. Uh, What signs should the average person look for uh, when they're dealing with other people? What signs should they look for that there might be an issue, whether it's uh, depression, some type of anxiety disorder, uh, whether this person is in a, in a situation where they're not okay, let's put it that way. Uh, what could the average listener who doesn't have a background, what should they look for um, in that regard or in that respect? Um, so um, I, I think if, if we're talking about mental illness as a whole, that, that is a little bit complicated because there's, Obviously, we have such a huge spectrum. We have a massive book. Um, oh, sure. That we can't. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Go, yeah. Boil it down maybe well, to the areas that you're most involved in. Mm-hmm. So, and like, that depression. People of that age. Yeah, sure. So, like, depression, for example, is one of the most common ones um, in, in the overall population, really. And um, typical signs... Um, it would really be just like social withdrawal, um, increased level of fatigue, um, obviously um, reoccurring thoughts of uh, suicide or any kind of um, any kind of suicide ideation, and um, that's also something that I I kind of wanted to just say that that's something that we have to really do take into consideration very seriously. A lot of times, you know, we we may say things that we may not mean, and then sometimes we say things that we do mean, and when we play it off jokingly, and uh, it's something that we may want to just increase um, our vigilance to. But for depression, um, obviously feeling sad, irritable, um, but losing interest in things that you do normally. um, If you gain a lot of weight, you lose a lot of weight. difficulty sleeping or increased levels of sleeping and, and these have to be like pretty pretty decent changes not like you know 20 minutes an hour and that's because you're tired it's just because you're feeling tired all the time having a lack of energy or restlessness um obviously feeling worthlessness um feeling guilty um difficulty concentrating thinking making decisions um these are all um very common symptoms of depression um, now, if there's a listener out there and you're hearing these symptoms, um, don't worry. Not everyone that has these symptoms has depression. We all have our sad days. We all have, um, you know, we all have times trouble sleeping and difficulty concentrating. Um, so I don't want to throw everyone all in one basket. Uh, if if you really do feel like there is some kind of um, underlying issue where you might have depression, definitely go and seek out help. Um, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, there's a lot of online resources. There's a lot of mobile apps 
Um, I know there's one called like Seven Cups, I believe. Um, free app to download. You can talk to someone. Um, I'm not sponsored by them by any way. By the way, <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> just making sure. Um, but uh, but I mean, they, just if you want to talk to somebody, uh, just to reach out, um, you can totally do that. Uh, there's a lot of apps that do that. Um, and then obviously seeking a, a mental health professional, like a like a psychologist. Um, can totally help out um, and really just checking in. And, you know, all of us need some kind of tweaking, right? Like all of us can use that a little bit of help and stuff like that. Um, doesn't necessarily mean we have um, some crazy aspect, right? It's just that, you know, sometimes we, we just have things that we have to work on, we have to work through, and that's just... Um, getting the appropriate resources, law supports, and the right um, treatment is definitely going to be beneficial for that person's overall overall being. Sure, almost like they would qualify for brief treatment, maybe. Uh, yeah. Where they would just qualify for that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So brief treatment, if you're not familiar, is uh, maybe define brief treatment for people that are not familiar with that. Yeah, I mean... You could do a brief treatment, um, which is essentially like um, almost kind of like a little tune-up. Like you kind of go see someone for a very short time. Um, you can do group therapies, obviously. Um, you could, um, I mean, this is all relative to how the person feels. To me, I think if you're feeling significantly any of the symptoms I said previously, then yes, I think it's time that you might want to consider going to a mental health professional, psychologist, um, social worker, clinical social worker. Um, I just think that I just want everybody to that's listening to know that um, if you are experiencing any of these issues, any anxiety, you are not alone. There's a lot of people out there that think the same way, and um, it's okay to get help. It really is. And... Um, there's there's a lot of judgment in this world. Um, there's a lot of crazy things in this world, but um, just to really, really drive home to the point that you are not alone. There are people out there who care about you, and there are people out there who really want to help you and make you feel better. Exactly. Every it's a great point. Every life is important. Every life is valuable. And God made every life with a purpose. Do not be afraid to reach out and to to reach out to someone, to, to talk to someone, to admit that you might need some help because it's important that you get it versus the alternative not getting it. Life is very short. Uh, life is, is very futile. Life is very important. And it's important that you take those steps. Just look at what happened. I know it's fresh on Sunday. I'm sure there's been some dialogue uh, within your school community on this uh, shooting in Las Vegas. What, what's been the discussion about maybe the, the mindset or the mental state or lack thereof of the, the shooter there? Yeah. Um, so, actually, I, I did want to circle back to this because um, I actually didn't mention it all yet. Um with really such a such a devastating um, attack um, to me I, I consider this a terrorist attack regardless 
with whichever affiliation it is, um, if he's officially affiliated or not, any attack like that is considered a terrorist attack to me. Um, I the the mental health status of this individual, um, we really have to look more into it. It, it is a very it's been a pretty recent event. Um, so obviously there, there's a lot of investigations going on. Um, it, it's, uh, I would like to know first, like, um, how, a little bit more information about how he got there, how he got the weapons and stuff like that. And, um, it, it really comes down to, I mean, I, I don't know his mental health history. I don't know if he heard voices for example to say that the the concern here is that this is starting to feed back into that stigma if if someone says for example let's say he was schizophrenic uh, he has schizophrenia now we get into that stigma again where it goes see this is why people who have schizophrenia are crazy and should be locked up and should not have treatment and we run into that stigma section so, it, it's, yes, it, it definitely is, um, these are things we definitely want to obviously avoid. Um, it's, it was a very devastating attack. Um, it, it could be the mo- mindset of the person. Um, it could be a, a wide range of things. Um, but I think this is what, where we fall back into that stigma where we go into, like, see he had anti-personality disorder or borderline disorder or something. And um, it it really starts creating a stigma again, and then that might bleed into all mental health and stuff like that. So, I, I, I exactly I can't give him a diagnosis. <laughs> sure, sure. I didn't know if there was any conversations about it. Has there been any conversations about potentially changes to healthcare on how that would impact uh, mental health uh, services treatment? Um, overall, um, I would probably say, um, really the push for the insurance agencies to cover mental health. Um, uh, some insurances do, some insurances don't. Um, I think that that would help out a lot. Uh, therapy is not cheap, I'm aware. Um, if any caller here is listening, um, and sees a therapist I'm sure they're aware that it's not cheap and um, having you know more insurances cover it would definitely be more beneficial um, and more really motivate the individual more to go out and seek those services that, that's another issue too right um, especially we look at low income uh, populations we look at low income populations they have a higher rate of stress right um, increased crime rate increased um, like um, violence, um, stuff like that. And then th- that population needs the most intervention that has the least amount of funds to get um, any kind of intervention at all, um, let alone medical, um, let alone psycho- psychological. And um, now, you know, and even if they were to somehow afford um, insurance, which... Um, is maybe difficult for the individual now their insurance doesn't cover mental health now you have a let's say a kid who is witnessing violence uh drug use 
um, murder, crimes, all this stuff on a daily basis, and there's nothing, no psych, no mental health services that they can get, um, and it's also just harder. It's harder. I mean, if you don't have, um, if you don't have, if you live in a low socioeconomic status location, you might not have a car to get to these locations. Um, you might not know of the resources. You might not have a access to a computer to access and look up these locations. There's a lot of things. Um, yeah. And that's where we should be focusing effort. And and it's like anything else. If if you are out there listening and you hear something like that, it all starts with action. And there's a call to action. And many of the things that I write, there's a call to action. There's many of the things that we do here in this program, there's a call to action. So get involved if hearing that bothers you and you're not in that demographic or you are. Get involved. uh, Advocate for people. Write a letter. Write an email to your congressman or representative. We have to start now in pursuing that and to getting services for people in lower socioeconomic brackets that really need it. And it's only going to start if we're in this together and if we're unified together as a whole and if we take this seriously because when that's better, our society will be. And it sounds like that's where it starts, right, Nick? It starts at the grassroots level. It starts with uh, with us. Yes. That's, yep. that's what uh, we're gathering. I would agree. I would it agree. Starts with yeah. us. That's that's how we're going to break the stigma. Yep. Okay. It, Can you give us any information on the out of the darkness walks before we let you go? Yeah. Um, so for anybody um, more interested, um, AFSP.org, um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they do a lot of great um, stuff for um, for suicide. Um, and um, just a lot of uh, resources um, about both um, not only just the individual but also the families who need possibly support um, obviously losing a uh, loved one very 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 devastating Um, so um, if you go to their website um, there's tons and tons of ways to volunteer and um, one of the things that they do is um, the Out of the Darkness Walks. Um, and these are um, really all over uh, the nation. So um, there's some in Jersey. Uh, we have one in D.C. coming up. Um, there's a lot of things going on. And uh, what it does is it, it helps um, really raise awareness. Um, it's, it's a fundraiser, um, so you, you can get you do the whole sponsoring thing and then they donate money um but um but really it's one of the ways they really unite people for that one cause and um it's it's really great um they do it um several times um it's available in all 50 states um for more information um you can go to afsp.org slash walk and you'll go straight to um, the Out of Darkness Walks um, page. And from there, you can register. And then they kind of make it a little fun, too. Like, if you want to do it, you, they, you make it, like, teams. And you can be, like, team captain. And uh, you make, like, shirts and stuff. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, 
it, it's a really great way to get involved. Um, on, on that website as well, they have stats about suicide and stuff like that and a little bit more information to educate um, individuals about it. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm familiar with the concept, but I know people out there probably aren't. Uh, I know people that have done them. I uh, wish I, I plan on doing one myself. I, I wish I had done one already. Uh, I think that's going to take it a long way. It's, it's events like that, and it's grassroots community stuff. So if you hear about this, community events, community organization, and if you hear of some of these things like Nick just provided that information, start an event, start a dialogue, start a conversation. The value of every life is too important. We have to take steps to defeat the stigma around mental illness because these people have feelings, and they're people too, and and they've hurt, they're hurting and they're in pain. A lot of them need a supportive hand and not one that's going to push them away. It starts with us. It starts with how we we have to change the way that we deal with each other. And through that, you'll change the way you deal with everyone around you. That's where it begins. It begins and starts at the community, as so many other things have on the show. God created us. You know, there's, there's a song in uh, contemporary Christian music where they say, well, you know, what is God doing? Because all these terrible things are happening in the world. And God says, I created you. So you've got to do something. And it starts with, with, with you, with me, and with all of us. We have to live in a way that's undivided. We have to live together as one. Nicholas Perez, thank you very much. If you want to get in touch with Nick, um, get in touch with me, and then I can put you in touch with him. Uh, so, again, it's www.frankjmaduricoaching.com or Undivided Show. That's Undivided Show, S H O W, at gmail.com. I'd like to say we took email questions prior to this show, so that's the way I got some audience involvement in. We had a deadline of today at 5 o'clock, um, and we were able to do that on uh, Tuesday to get this together for the show. Uh, this show will be airing on Wednesday the 4th. I will be back with you all on Wednesday the 18th. Uh, a lot of that show is yet to be determined. I waited to hear back from a potential guest, so it's kind of in a, a period where it, it might be one thing, it might be another, so it's, it's a to-be-determined situation for the 18th. I'm hoping to have some clarity, obviously, between now and then. Uh, Coming up, uh, Your Way, Making Inspired Choices with Linda Stevens-Jones airs Tuesday, October 17th at noon Eastern on the Life Coach Radio Network. And that's Making Inspired Choices. Linda Stevens-Jones is the coach and the host of that program. That's Tuesday, October 17th at noon Eastern. And then Barb Heenan and Leslie are back. Uh, They're going to have a whole uh, show. They're back after they've been on a break for a little bit. Uh, Shifting energy up 8 a.m. Central time. That's Wednesday, October the 18th on the Life Coach chat channel. That's 8 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Eastern. Shifting energy up. Barb Heenan and Leslie will be back with you. I'll be back on the 18th of October at 7 p.m. live. That's a Wednesday night. Nick Perez, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. 
Thank you for your insights. And thank you for having me. I think this is something that was um, pretty well needed. And if there's any listeners out there, again, like I wanted to say, your your voice is definitely heard. Your voice definitely matters. And there are people who are out there who care for you. And we really want to work with you to make your life um, a little bit, just a little bit better at least. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. Please, if you if you hear this show, talk to someone and get help and thank you Nick for doing what you do and, and trying to raise awareness and, and dealing with people and helping them to get the help that they need it's so important thank you so that's mm-hmm. our show for tonight thank you all very much thank you to our listeners thank you to Russ Terry and everyone at Life Coach Radio Network thank you to Nicholas Perez again and I'll be back with you guys on the 18th until then be blessed And be well. This has been Undivided, Episode 7, Defeating the Stigma of Mental Illness. Please get help if you need it. Be well. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.